Hi, everyone. Hi, guys. Welcome to Wicked, Weird, and Grim, your number one podcast for a trip through the history of the odd, haunting, and mystifying. I'm Caroline. And I'm Ara. And together, we're the Grim Sisters. All right, and I have been sick off and on for the past few weeks, which is kind of why our Wednesday episodes have been delayed or non-existent, <laughs> uh, like last week. <laughs> a little bit sniffly, but largely on the up and up. Today, we're diving back into the true crime world with this topic. We know that a whole lot of you guys are really fascinated by true crime, and our last true crime episode was our most listened to. Mm -hmm. So we're really excited to release this one. And this episode is like, especially for you guys who love that true crime stuff. (laughs) And, you know, per usual, this is Caroline's (laughs) expertise coming out because it's true crime. And I'm just excited to learn from the master of this one. <laughs> because when we do research for this, this girl was typing up a storm and I could not find any of the information anywhere. And she's like, oh, it's just, it's from my head. I was like, ma'am, are you okay? Okay, for the record, this is just because I listen to way too many true crime podcasts. And so eventually I just have this like conglomeration of information about all of the serial killers living in my head rent free. Which works for me. It does. It works very well for the <laughs> episodes. Works for us. Yes, yes. Not exactly like a party. No, definitely not. Definitely not. Unless it's our party. Yeah, exactly. We're just talking straight up about This is why we're friends, literally. (sighs) Anyways, so without further ado, our topic today is the I-70 Strangler. And this is kind of weird because he's thought to be the deceased serial killer, Herb Baumeister. Yeah. But it's not exactly confirmed. Yeah. But then it says that Herb Baumeister was a serial killer, but mm-hmm. apparently that wasn't confirmed either. So it's just kind of this It's weird... very confusing. Yeah. Exactly. Which, of course, we will get to. But yeah, basically, they think that the I-70 Strangler who was killing gay men in Ohio, they think that he was... This guy named Herb Baumeister, who lived in Indiana and was a serial killer there too, mm-hmm. set like separately. Which is like, <laughs> yeah, sir. <laughs> he had an interesting time. Mm-hmm. All right. So our guy, Herb <laughs> Baumeister, he was born in Indianapolis in 1947. He was the oldest child of four kids. And reports say that his childhood was like very normal. Nothing really like traumatic happened to him or anything. But he did start to exhibit some signs of antisocial behavior very early on. Mm-hmm. And some of those signs were really disturbing. Um, oh, yeah. They included <laughs> playing with dead animals and apparently urinating on his teacher's desk. Which, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> apparently also, like, when he was an adult, he did that to a manager's. He had a, like, fight with a boss and he peed on that guy's desk, too, it's which like, is super Sarah, gross. are you a dog trying to mark your territory? Uh-huh. Very what concerning. During his teen years, even, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but I'm very confused because for some reason yeah. he didn't receive further psychiatric treatment or nothing was addressed. Right. Like, I know his dad was a like an anesthesiologist, so he was okay. a doctor, so he definitely would have, you know, known how serious schizophrenia was, but yeah. at the same time, it's probably like, what, like the 50s mm-hmm. or 60s? and. Obviously, there was a lot of stigma around getting diagnosed with any mental illness, but especially something like schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. So he might have just been trying to, like, protect him maybe from sort of a a system that wasn't always very kind Mm -hmm. and society, too, that also wasn't kind. Yeah. So that's the only thing I can really think. It's very much a toss-up between do you get treatment for schizophrenia and expose your child to that stigma Mm -hmm. and to the risk of being abused by practitioners or society, Mm -hmm. or do you not get that treatment and run the risk of your child 
suffering. You know, worsening yeah. and suffering. So it's like there's really no right answer maybe mm-hmm. at that time period because like either way you're going to, the kid's going to suffer. Mm-hmm. I think that at one point schizophrenia actually described a bunch of different things that we now know are completely separate and like totally unrelated mental Mm -hmm. illnesses. Like I think autism was at one point schizophrenia and autism autism is nothing like schizophrenia. Yeah. (laughs) People with, yeah, it's like very, no, it's really not. It's just, you know, neurodivergent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's just not neurotypical, Mm -hmm. but yeah. Herb ends up going to college for a semester at Indiana university, but he ends up dropping out. He obviously has mental illness, Mm -hmm. all those kind of things that are going to really make college really difficult. Mm-hmm. He comes back to school again in 1967. And in 1972, he also went to Butler University for a semester. And just like in all of these college experiences that he had, where he kind of drifted from one to the next and was only there for short periods of time, he drifted through a lot of jobs. He had like a really good work ethic. He was a hard worker, but mm-hmm. he just kind of had very weird behavior and I think it was probably hard for him to sort of fit in in a new work environment for very long you know once his true personality came out people were just kind of put off by him so Baumeister ended up marrying a woman named Julie Sater in 1971 and he had three children with her Julie apparently later said that the two of them had only been sexually intimate six times in over 25 years of marriage but somehow three of those times produce kids. So I don't know, the statistics on this is like super shady to me, but I mean, go off, I guess. I, I don't know. Had to have happened usually three times. Yeah. Like, or I wonder if like, what if she was like stepping off on you? <laughs> because if you only had sex like six times. A gynecologist about that. <laughs> Our next special guest, yes. gynecologist. <laughs> Just tell, to talk about Julie Sater's. Tell us um, about the spookiness yeah. of female anatomy. <laughs> tell us about it. Oh, man. Yeah, so apparently sometime in the 1970s, though, Herb was committed to a psychiatric hospital by his father. And Julie said it was because he was hurting and needed help. Mm-hmm. So she was pretty supportive of that decision. So it seems to be that Julie was definitely on you know, the right side of things and was seeing like, yeah, my husband is really going through something. He needs help. Like the term better late than never doesn't apply to this for me because if his dad would have done something in his teens when he was officially diagnosed, like wouldn't that have been like when he was a child playing with dead animals and like peeing on teachers desks like i feel like that would have been better but again you know it's like 50s versus 70s they may not have even helped him whatever treatment he may have gotten may not have been helpful Mm -hmm. it might have exacerbated things um lobotomies lobotomies declined in popularity in the 1950s okay so it still would have so especially when he was like a young teenager it's possible that that could have happened to him his dad was just trying to protect him yeah yeah still yeah questionable but but yeah, I, I just think it's really concerning that he was killing animals. That's like a major in the McDonald triad, which is like the, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. The thing where it's like, I think you are like a bedwetter or you kill animals. And I think like setting fires or something like that. I know it's some, some, other, some other, I think it's setting fires. It's something, it's some other like, you know, um, kind of like wanting to watch destruction mm-hmm. in your, in your wake. But did it actually say he was killing them? I thought he was just playing with dead animals. Well, I think that is unclear yeah i know one time he like put a dead bird on his teacher's desk just to see what their reaction would be which is super concerning but what is it with the student his teachers i don't know like. he just like wanted to provoke <laughs> them or something i don't know and what's weird is that he got into multiple good universities so it's not like he was a bad student he was mm-hmm. obviously smart 
They passed him because they were scared. Yeah, they were just like, I just want to get rid of this crazy kid. (laughs) But, you know, I have trouble believing that he, like, just found a dead bird and was like, huh, I'm going to put this on my teacher's desk. I feel like he killed the bird. Yeah, I'm sure it escalated, too. Because it escalates, right? First, it's fascination with death. Yeah. Eventually, you start... Being like, I want to see what's inside of you, inside of this... Start killing animals. And then, from there, it usually escalates even further to humans, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Despite all of this, <laughs> as a credit to him, he founded two save-a-lots in the Indianapolis area in 1988. So, you know, the thrifters in Indianapolis yep. were definitely happy <laughs> with him. He was quite the king there. Anyways, Herb, Julie, and their kids eventually move into this huge house. And it's honestly kind of a mansion, yeah. especially for the time. described most of the time. And it's called Fox Hollow Farm, which to me sounds very cute. Yeah, I know. Like I, I'm not 100% sure. I think, think they might have had horses. I read that somewhere, but I don't know how true it was. Like, this area was really beautiful. They had a lot of land, a lot of acreage, and even an indoor swimming pool, mm-hmm. which I think at the time was... Huge. I mean, yeah, pretty I mean, big, I think yeah. even now having an indoor pool, like a lot of people have outside yeah. pools, but an indoor pool, I don't know if I've ever been to a house with an indoor pool. But yeah, so <laughs> lots of land, really beautiful house, and they seem to have, you know, a normal life and a generally happy marriage. Yeah. Of course, this wasn't entirely the case. Like we mentioned, Julie and Herb like never had sex. And Herb had continuous mental health issues, but I'm pretty sure like none of their friends or neighbors, none of the people who would have said, oh yeah, they had a really normal, like happy life. None of those people would have really been aware of those things, I would imagine. I'm sure that they kept it very hush-hush. It was like the 1980s. So, you know, people just didn't talk about mental health or really take it very seriously back then, Mm -hmm. which is really sad. There was also this really weird thing that happened on one occasion. Well, on multiple occasions, specifically once. The kids were outside playing at Fox Hollow Farm. And they have found what appeared to be a human skeleton. Mm -hmm. So the kids run inside and they tell Julie... And naturally, she's thinking, oh, it's just, you know, it's probably an animal or something like that. Yeah. Or, like, the kids are joking. Yeah, because, you know, kids, like, kids are weird. Yeah. <laughs> we found a human um, skeleton. Yeah, you know, and it's I mean, I think, too, like, even if you do find a bone, your first instinct is, oh, my gosh, is it human? Like, we literally did that when we were at yeah. the Devil's Tramping Ground. We were like, I don't know, that's a big bone. Yeah. But we were like, we also consciously were like, there's no way. It's like, it's definitely a deer mm-hmm. or some, like, some other creature out there. Oh, there's a couple. I was like, mm-hmm. we were like a little suspicious. Mm-hmm. You know, even though we both, like, knew better, yeah. you know? And so I definitely think if you're a kid, you're definitely, definitely going to jump to the conclusion of, oh, my gosh, it's a human. Yeah. And so then Julie goes out there mm-hmm. to check, you know, and just like the kids have said, that is definitely human. <laughs> and the way that she knows this is that it's a human skull, which is, you know, unmistakable. <laughs> I think there were other bones in the area where the skull was found. It wasn't like just the skull, but it wasn't like a full skeleton or anything. Okay. It wasn't just like a whole skeleton laying out on the ground. But still. Yeah. And I think some of the bones were kind of like sticking up out of the ground, like they had been almost buried. So. Julie is extremely freaked out by this, as anybody rightfully would be. But she <laughs> did not call the police. I don't understand it. Like, why would you not... Because you're supposed to call the police straight away, right? Yeah. Like, I've always heard that if you find a bone of any kind and it, to you, like, looks human, mm-hmm. you're supposed to call the police, even if you're pretty sure that it's not human. Mm-hmm. So, like, you if you... say I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think there might be other ways to identify it. Like, usually if you find something and you're like, oh, I think this might be a femur, mm-hmm. you can call the police and they will be able to kind of talk you through figuring out what it is so that they don't necessarily have to come get it. Yeah. But if you're still not able to figure it out, they will just come get it. Yeah. And sometimes they'll just be like, Oh, it's fine. It's, 
that's definitely, you know, a deer or a bear or, you know, Bigfoot, I guess. <laughs> Always <laughs> got to bring him back. <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, you're still supposed to call the police. Like, that's your first yeah. instinct. Julie is, understandably, very freaked out. But for some reason, she decides to wait until Herb gets home from work to do anything at all. And when Herb does get home, she shows him the bones and he has this, like, totally rational explanation for her. He basically says that he had inherited this, like, medical school anatomy skeleton from his dad, who, like we said, was an anesthesiologist. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that his dad would have something like that. And in that time period, it makes sense that it would have been a real human skeleton, not Mm -hmm. like a replica, right? And so I guess that's pretty reasonable. Like, it doesn't explain, like, why it was just randomly chilling in the backyard. Like, I wonder if maybe he told her something like, oh, yeah, I was getting rid of some stuff, and I bet this just fell out of the box. (gasps) But how even you, then, how do you forget that a skeleton fell out of the box? That you like had? I feel like that would be very noticeable. It's not small. I got the impression that this also wasn't in an area that was like very close to the house or any other buildings on their property. I got the impression it was just out in the woods, and so it's kind of like why would you have even been carrying a box that you were going to donate or get rid of in that area? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Hmm. Very strange. Very very suspicious. Julie, get out of there for real. <laughs> I feel like it's the kind of thing where at the time she, you know, she thought she knew her husband and she was like, oh, if this is like a dead body, she's not thinking, oh, my husband killed someone. She's Mm -hmm. thinking something happened to them out here or some former owner of this property, they killed someone, buried them here, or it's like a graveyard or, you know, something like that. She's not thinking, oh, somebody that I live with murdered somebody and buried them in our yeah. backyard. That's not what she's I thinking. I wonder how that changed when he told her it was the medical skeleton. Though. And like, yeah. And so I would imagine at that point then, I don't know. And I I feel like it's the kind of thing where she may have thought that doesn't really make any sense, but also was kind of like, but why would he lie about it? Mm -hmm. You know? I'm sure psychologically she was more inclined to like... Believe him. Believe him. Yeah. Rather than face the... Right. And I think that she doesn't really have any reason not to believe him. Like nothing else suspicious has happened that she has ever talked about. Mm -hmm. That's really the only like really suspicious thing that ever happened. Mm So I get the impression that it's the kind of thing where now she can look back and be like oh my gosh i cannot believe i let that go it was so suspicious you know yeah but like at the time she was very willing to just kind of like be like oh whatever yeah that's so scary whatever her i wonder like what she thought when she thought back and was like i did not know i know with every day and i feel really bad for her kid like whichever kid found it because i'm sure they picked it up and like tossed it around you know kids are weird I mean, like, he literally exposed his children to I doing know. the same thing that he did when he was, like, playing yeah. with stuff. Like, and the thing is, like, I'm sure that the kids, when they found out later that it wasn't a medical school skeleton, that it was actually, like, a murder victim that their father killed, I bet that was really traumatic. Like, not, like obviously, they're already traumatized by the fact that their dad is a serial killer, but mm-hmm. they're also just traumatized by, like, oh, my God, I found a victim. Like, I could have stopped him. We could have stopped him, and we didn't. Mm-hmm. We just didn't. Which, like, they're children. Yeah. But I know you that's still have that guilt. Their head. Yeah, yeah, you still have that guilt. Which is so that sad. You, you shouldn't, you don't have any reason to have, but it's just inevitable. He subjected his whole family to that type of. He really problem. did. So, fast forward to the 1990s, and the police are starting to get really concerned by something going on in Indianapolis. Basically, there are all of these gay men who are disappearing. They'll go out to a gay club and never come home. And obviously, to some extent, the police are initially like really dismissive of it because, you know, it's the 90s and they don't care a lot about these gay guys. Mm -hmm. 
eventually though the amount of disappearances just gets like way too concerning for them to ignore anymore and so they do start taking it more seriously unbeknownst to them at the same time basically the same thing is happening across the border in ohio Mm -hmm. and so these ohio police officers are having the same kind of concerns you know where initially they're like wow all these gay guys are disappearing and at first they're kind of like we don't really care because they're gay guys but then it just becomes so many people that mm-hmm. they don't have a choice they have to be concerned it's, it's disturbing the taco bell shake yeah exactly it was like a, a minority the black women yes typically were either prostitutes like low, low income. income yeah and they were written off and it was only once there was enough disappearance and enough murders like mo- like tons of them basically exactly, that yeah the police were like okay well we'll, we'll investigate yeah so, and i mean there were literally same. reports in this case of like victims families coming to the police and being like hey my brother son whatever he disappeared i'm really really concerned and the police would just be like oh he'll probably come home he's probably just like looking for drugs or whatever and he'll probably come home if he's not back in a month let us know which is a month that is insane like literally would kill the cop that said that to me. <laughs> Point blank. Like, me like seriously, like, like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine how traumatizing that must have been for their family. Like, oh, they'll be back and their disappearance just not be concerning because, oh, well, we think they might be out on like a bender or whatever. It's like, Meanwhile, well, even if they are, shouldn't you go look for them? Like, yeah. shouldn't you make sure that's what's going on? Because they might be dead. It's like an upper class white woman. Uh huh. Like Gabby Petito. Yeah, which for the record, this is what should happen Mm -hmm. is that all resources Mm -hmm. should be put into finding that person. Like the white woman, what is it? The missing white woman syndrome or whatever. But yeah, so anyway, basically all of these disappearances are happening in both Indianapolis and then in Ohio. And in Ohio, they're actually finding all of these, like basically these men will go missing and then they find their bodies, Which which is heartbreaking. Usually they would find these men naked or partially clothed, deceased near the I-70 highway. And a lot of times the bodies would also have been like dumped in rivers or streams or ditches just out kind of in the countryside in the same area of I-70. They had also all been strangled to death. Something that's crazy to me is I still think there wasn't quality DNA testing at this time. Yeah. But it came about in the 90s. So yeah. yeah. But also, I don't know, I feel like there would be something with all of mm-hmm. these murders, like some type yeah. of clue. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it's aggravating to me. Right. Because I wonder again if, you know, the lack of concern about these crimes in the first place was what prevented them for so long from figuring out that it was who it was. So. Yeah. And I mean, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure the, I'm, or I am sure the, the police in Ohio, they definitely were, you know, collecting DNA. They eventually recognized that this was clearly all the same person. They mm-hmm. started saying, yes, there's this I-70 strangler out there killing these gay men. But they really had like no leads. The only lead that they had was a description of the car that a suspect drove. That's literally it. Otherwise, they had basically nothing. So then meanwhile, in Indianapolis, it's 1993. And so this has all been going on for a little while. And there's this man named Tony Harris. And he contacts the police with this absolutely terrifying, horrifying story. Mm -hmm. He was friends with a couple of the men who had gone missing. And he, you know, at the time that he reported this incident to the police, he had become confident that his friends had been murdered. Mm -hmm. So basically... Tony had this crazy story. He had met this man in a gay bar. His name was Brian Smart, or so the man said. And so Brian Smart basically says, hey, 
you want to come back to my house and, you know, I guess hook up. I have this, you know, really nice swimming pool in my basement. That sounds so creepy. I know. I have a um, really nice swimming pool in my basement just for just you. For you <laughs> just for you, Tony. Yeah. And I'm sure it wasn't quite like that, you know, but that's basically how he gets him to come over. He's like, well, we can go swimming. Mm-hmm. And so Tony, you know, he is like, okay, sure. Yeah, let's go. So he likes this guy and they go to Brian Smart's house, right? And so they get to Brian Smart's house and Tony realizes along the drive that they're going way outside of Indianapolis, like way into the suburbs Mm -hmm. and kind of out into the country. And they turn onto this, what I guess he kind of thinks at first is a road, but realizes is Brian Smart's driveway. It's Mm -hmm. this long private drive and it leads up to this huge house. He definitely describes it as a mansion and he is like, oh my gosh, like, wow, you know. Probably getting a little bit freaked, like going that far. Yeah. But I'm sure like when he saw the house, he was like, he was oh, like, oh, okay. wow, yeah, I'm totally safe. Like, this is a, a guy with money, you yeah. know? Like, he's, a, he's like, a responsible, like, Don't wealthy guy. Don't trust the ones with money. Don't trust <laughs> No. <him. laughs> yeah, money is, like, very meaningless when it comes to trust. So, anyway, they get into the pool, and Brian Smart, he kind of says, like, hey, have you ever tried erotic asphyxiation? It's, like, just really fun. It's really good. It feels really good. And so, Tony's the kind of guy who's like, oh, I'll try anything once. Maybe you're right, right? <laughs> Tony is me. <laughs> he basically, like, lets Brian you know, try this on him. I don't, I think he had like a hose basically from the pool area. I think it was from like the vacuum or something okay. like that, the pool vacuum mm-hmm. or some kind of pool hose. He basically uses to, to like kind of strangle him, right? I mean, PS like, erotic strangulation should typically be used with your hands because it's the best measurement of control. knowing. Yeah. Like, but, but you know, Tony doesn't know. Like Tony's never done this. He doesn't know that, right? Tony's like, yes, please just wrap this pool hose. Yeah. But to- I know, right? And Tony, first of all, I would also like to say that Tony is already probably a little bit creeped out in general because this pool area is surrounded by mannequins. Okay, that was not what? Mannequins. So around the pool, there are all of these mannequins. They're just dressed up in clothes. And when he asks Brian, he's like, hey, uh, what's with the mannequins? Brian's like, oh, well, you know, it's a big house. I get lonely sometimes and they keep me company. Uh, like you guys if you could see our face yeah seriously like i don't know how he didn't just run the heck out of there but yeah anyway so long story short this is already like a really creepy place that tony should have had some concern over but for whatever reason he ignored any concerns he had and he lets brian do this to him and then there's this kind of moment where he realizes that this is not like a sexual act. This guy's trying to kill him. Yeah. He realizes that this like noose now that's like around his neck is being pulled tighter and tighter and tighter. And that this guy is not going to stop mm-hmm. no matter what he does. It's and so he is just dramatic. like flailing around, you know, trying to get away. And finally he's just like, well, maybe if I just play dead. So he kind of plays dead. Which is so smart. Which is so smart. I always have that And then we're getting strangled. Brian kind of like lets him go, like removes the thing around his neck. And at that point, he had basically passed out and a few minutes later he comes to and Brian is just sitting there like just like sitting there not concerned about him or anything so it's obvious that his intention was for him to die right and so he you know wakes up Brian is super startled by him not being dead yeah and he tries to play (laughs) it off like it was a joke or like that was what was supposed to happen and Tony basically kind of like makes an excuse to get out of there and Brian lets him go, which he is shocked by. He likes really, truly shocked that Brian lets him go. So he tells the police this horrific story. And despite all of the red flags he ignored, the police believe him. 
and they can just tell that he is deeply traumatized and he comes to the police and he's not just saying like, hey, this guy tried to kill me in this mansion, right? He's not just saying that. He's literally saying, this guy tried to kill me and he killed these other gay men. I know he did. There's no way. There's no way that this happened to me and it happened at the same time all these people are going missing and isn't connected. There's just yeah. no way. So he is convinced that his friend that died was murdered by this man. He's convinced that he almost got murdered by this man. He's convinced that a bunch of other people have probably been killed too. I think that for him, it's almost like a sexual act. Oh, I definitely think it was. Like, for sure, for sure he was getting off on it. Oh, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah. It was just such what? a crazy story, right? And like, just Ugh. so creepy in every way. And like, okay, he has these mannequins. Like, you know, his family sees the mannequins. Like, you don't hide that. Like, okay, but do they though? Because does he only bring them out when? Maybe he really does have them because he gets lonely. And so he brings yeah. them out when they're not there. I don't know. And again, like, we're assuming that because their family had a cabin that the wife and children went to the cabin. Yeah. While, quote unquote, Brian Smart was doing this. Yeah. So that's what we're thinking happened, but. We never know. Anyways, yeah. we still have to connect some things. Yes. So. Yes. So long story short, Tony tells the police this story. They do take him seriously, but they're also kind of like, you don't really have any information that we can do an investigation on, right? Like there's no leads to follow here. You don't really know where this guy lived. You don't know anything about him other than his name. So if you see him again, let us know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at this point, I think this also might have been in the time where the police still hadn't fully realized like just how many men were going missing. Mm -hmm. You know, they had a couple disappearances and they had Tony's story and they should have taken it seriously. And they probably hadn't connected. The oh, definitely not. Either. There was a, that was a while, but they still just weren't taking it as seriously as they should have. Like if it was, you know, white women going missing, mm -hmm. particularly white women who were not gay or on drugs or at oh, any sort of low income or like low society or like whatever, you know, like if they were, like middle class white women. Isn't the creme de la creme yeah. of societal pygmies? Yes, for real. <laughs> but yeah. anyways, th at this point, all these gay men in the area are completely freaked out. Oh, they're terrified. They should be. Yeah. They're all trying their best to be really careful, and they're on the lookout for this quote-unquote Brian Smart, because I'm guessing Tony probably spread this around Oh, yeah. Well, Tony, like, Tony's like careful. talking to anyone who will listen. Yeah. Tony's terrified. And so then the craziest thing happens to Tony, because Tony so just crazy. has a crazy life at this point. <laughs> So it's 1995 and Tony Harris sees Brian Smart again. Which is like, what? what? He calls police like immediately. He tells them, oh my gosh, I saw Brian Smart again, that guy who tried to kill me. And I got his license tag. So the police look up the plate and they discover that the man is named Herb Baumeister, mm -hmm. who of course is who we've been talking about the whole time. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> if you didn't see that coming. And so now the police are like, all right, so this guy clearly is up to no good. Mm -hmm. Something, something not right about yeah. Herb. But again, like, just the statistics in this story. I know. Having sex six <laughs> times and having three children out of it. Being able to escape Tony after being right? strangled. Seeing him again. Like, that's just like, insane. And apparently there was like a whole thing where Herb as Brian, he wasn't even like trying to stay away from Tony. You'd think that he would want to like never see Tony again or anything, but he would like contact him. He's probably intrigued. I think he kind of the was. Got away, yeah. And he was kind of like, I think kind of like, I think Tony was like, maybe he's trying to keep me from talking, or, you know, to the cops or is like trying to see Too how much I've talked, you know, but of course, Tony kind of avoided him and was like, oh, and yeah. I think at one point, Tony even actually tried to like, he, t he told the police that he was hearing from this guy and he tried to like get Brian to meet with him so that he could get him. Yeah. And then the guy didn't show up. 
Tony is brave. Yeah, Tony is awesome. Tony is like truly a hero of the story. Mm-hmm. If there's a hero in the story, it is definitely Tony. Mm-hmm. But then like Herb didn't show up to that meeting and then he just randomly saw him one day mm-hmm. and was like, <gasps> yeah. So the police, you know, they contact Herb right away, but Herb will not let them search the property. They try to get a warrant, but this is because Herb lived like out in the suburbs. The police are like out of their jurisdiction. So they go to that jurisdiction, right? To that county. And they're like, hey, um, Herb is a murderer. We need to prove that he's a murderer and we need to search his property. And the Police in that jurisdiction, the judge is basically just like, but he's such an upstanding citizen. There's no way that he's a, he's a bad guy. He owns two save a lot. I know. About? And so basically the, <laughs> the judge refuses to give them a warrant. And so the police are basically forced to try to like figure out how to get onto this property without a warrant. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're trying to figure out like how they can convince these people to Which like, do I that. never think that to, like, a let person's them upstanding character should be oh, no. a satisfactory answer for no. Especially warrant. consider like, consider just like how how much history there is of people of all types like whether they're poor or rich or upstanding or not like there's no it's not like poor people or you know drug addicts or whatever are like more likely to be serial killers Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean yes some of them are serial killers but like a lot of times well-off people are serial killers too Mm -hmm. right like you look at like ted bundy he was in school to be a lawyer like he was Mm -hmm. eventually going to make a lot of money he was upstanding and it's like, that's literally one of the reasons that people were just like enamored by him, mm-hmm. even though they knew he was a serial killer. And it's usually the people with money and connections that can get away with it. Yeah. Like, and it's like, that can bribe why do we that do that? It's so irritating. So basically these people in this other county will just not let the police investigate properly, will not send their own detectives out there to do it. And so the Indianapolis police are kind of like, okay, well, we're going to figure out how to get this guy. Because they are at this point mad. And they're like, you know, really convinced that. Mm -hmm. Because they literally have an eyewitness. Yes. And while they definitely, at this point in time, they look down on like the gay community Mm -hmm. and, and just, you know, gayness in general. They also really did believe that Tony had survived something really deeply traumatic and they recognize that that's not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that like, it's not okay for people to go through things like that. And it's definitely not okay for people to not live through it. Yeah. You know, like that just, it's not, it's not okay. It doesn't matter who it happens to. It's never okay. Mm-hmm. So basically the police, you know, really start looking into Herb otherwise, and they really are able to find more evidence. So first of all, this is kind of one of the times when they start connecting things with the I-70 killings in Ohio. Mm-hmm. The description of the car that Herb owns is literally the exact description of the car that's been seen in Ohio mm-hmm. that's connected to these killings in Ohio. So the police are like, oh my gosh, this is the same guy. Like, we we definitely have a serial killer. He, this is the, not good. This is much bigger. This is way big, yeah. And... For the record, what's going on in Ohio is like, what, like nine or ten bodies that they found? They found a lot of bodies. Yeah. And there's like pretty much equal number of people missing in Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. So they're looking at like, you know, 20 people, you know, dead, missing, right? And so they're really concerned. So they kind of have a break in that respect. They also really start looking at Fox Hollow Farm, you know, where Herb lives. And they recognize that it is 100% exactly the house that Tony has described to them. It has the long winding driveway. It's kind of out in the country. It's literally named Fox Hollow Farm, which Tony had said, I think it said something about like a farm in the name. There was a sign I saw that said something about farm or farms, Mm -hmm. but he couldn't remember what it said. Otherwise, it's literally the only place like that in the whole community. It's also this massive mansion, just like Tony said, and it has a swimming pool. 
indoor swimming pool. An indoor pool, swimming pool. And, like, like, houses just don't have indoor swimming pools. Mm-hmm. It's really uncommon, y'all. Yeah. And um, maybe, like, gilded era mansions, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> like the Biltmore house has. But, like, they literally have straight up. They found their guy. Yeah. So, after all of this, yeah. finally, these connections were made. All this evidence comes forward. Mm-hmm. Finally, finally, a warrant is issued for Baumeister's arrest. And Baumeister, he immediately he goes to Ontario. Away. And surprisingly to me, he ends up committing suicide mm-hmm. at Pinery Provincial Park on Lake Huron by shooting himself in the head. And he actually left a suicide note. And in that, he described just his failing marriage and business mm-hmm. as a reason for killing himself. And he never confessed to the murders of the men that were found in his backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that seems Ugh. pretty guilty yeah. to me. I think he's just the kind of guy who... You know, a lot of times these serial killers, like, they enjoy killing. They enjoy what they do. They love, like, stringing the police along and stuff like that. But at the same time, they know that what they're doing is, like, deviant and kind of just evil. Mm -hmm. And they do consciously know right from wrong. And so they know that they shouldn't be doing it. Mm -hmm. And so there's maybe, like, a little bit of embarrassment about it. And because they're narcissists, they can't admit that they've done something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just so surprising yeah. that he would kill himself. Yeah, because most serial killers, I feel like, have not do not kill themselves. Mm-hmm. But I guess also he was They'd extremely... They'd rather be in jail and yeah, glory and... and, like, attention and stuff. Yeah. But I guess also he was very mentally ill. Mm-hmm. A lot of serial killers, I feel like their, quote, like, mental illness is the third serial killer. It's not other stuff. And Did they, like, find his body for sure? Like, yeah, for yeah. Sure like, they know he died. Him. Yeah, they know okay. he died. He He, like, went camping and, like, shot himself and they found the body yeah it's just interesting yeah. he said his failing marriage and yeah well and business. for the record he and his wife were getting a divorce at that time mm-hmm. when all of this sort of like came to a head mm-hmm. and um, i would hope so <laughs> yeah i know I would hope so. <laughs> um and and i mean it was for like other reasons obviously like it had nothing to do with his like murders or anything right because like mm-hmm. this divorce started before they were even i think before the baumeisters like even knew that this was mm-hmm being investigated, right? Which is so sad because they're I such know. a fellow couple. I know. They could have just had so many kids. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, long story short, at first the police had actually gone to Julie and been like, hey, I know you guys are getting a divorce. Can we search your property? Don't you want to get back at your husband? And she was like, actually, and it, it makes me really sad because I feel like Julie was a really nice lady because she, despite the fact that she's getting this divorce and they're not on the best terms, you know, she still is just like, no, I would never do that to him. Like, he doesn't deserve that because she really doesn't think he's a killer. And then basically everything in the divorce just got really, really yucky. Basically, they were, you know, fighting over the kids and all that kind of stuff and money and just all this stuff. And Herb basically takes one of their kids on a trip and just refuses to bring him back. And, like, I think, I don't know if, like, the police had to go get him or the kid just finally got away or he finally just, I don't know exactly. But the kid came home. The kid got home. The kid's okay. Okay, But obviously at this point, Julie is just like, oh, my gosh. And her lawyers even are kind of like, yeah, we definitely think that he is dangerous. We think that he, we need to figure out how to get him away from you or something. And she at this point is concerned for her own safety and her kid's safety. So she's on board. And the lawyers are like, you need to let the police search your property because there is this investigation, right? And so she finally agrees and they find the remains of 11 men. Two of them have never been identified. All of them were lured away from gay bars by Herb and he would convince them to come home with them. Sometimes he would brag about his big house and like the swimming pool and like kind of all these cool things he had in his mansion. He would get them into the pool and then strangle them when they weren't expecting it. Or he would trick them into like erotic asphyxiation. It's thought that, and this is the part that I think really scares me, 
And it actually comes back later when we get to the really creepy part. (laughs) What really scares me about this, I think, is that it's thought that some of these men actually got away from her just like Tony did. Mm -hmm. But instead of just kind of playing it cool the way Tony did, they, you know, were really determined to escape. And so they ran. And when they ran, Herb chased after them. And so it's thought that some of them were probably chased through the woods on Fox Hollow Farm, which is like 50 acres. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge property, a lot of place to run, you know, if you're running from someone. And that Herb probably found them and killed them. And I just can't really imagine anything scarier than knowing that you're in the presence of a serial killer, getting away from them, running for your life, not having a clue where you're going because you're in the middle of nowhere and you're on this huge property and you don't like even know what else might be on the property or who else. Like you have no idea what's going on, Mm -hmm. but you're just running for your life. And there's this crazy serial killer chasing after you and then he finds you. Yeah. Like that's just such a horrible, terrifying death. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of serial killers who killed their victims in like really painful, gruesome ways. But to me, this is one of the scariest ways. Yeah. It's like just... This is definitely like horror movies. Yeah, yeah. So Baumeister would actually be posthumously suspected of killing nine other men in Ohio. All of these were the guys that were found along Interstate 70 between Indianapolis and Columbus. There was even, you know, like we said, an eyewitness who identified Baumeister's car and somebody actually saw him leaving a bar in 1983 with Michael Riley, who was one of the victims. Mm-hmm. And Riley had been, you know, strangled to death and he was deposited like nude or partially nude in the river. You know, so these guys died pretty much just as traumatically as the victims that were killed at Fox Hollow Farm. Mm-hmm. But at Fox Hollow Farm, there was just like no chance of escape, mm-hmm. I feel like, unless you were Tony, unless you got lucky. Yeah. And Which like he we was probably like, what the heck? Like, yeah. He... I'm pretty sure Tony just, he like literally has no idea why he survived. Yeah. No idea. It's he literally crazy. just got lucky. And yeah, so basically Baumeister is suspected of killing like, what is that? Officially credited with 12, four more suspected. And then they were unidentified. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, like I said, there are two that were found on his property that have never been identified, yeah. which is really sad because mm-hmm. somebody somewhere out there is wondering what happened. Mm-hmm. Again, we come back to this idea of like Baumeister specifically targeting gay men. Mm-hmm. And to me, in times of like extreme homophobia from people, I feel like the most homophobic people are usually gay yeah. themselves and they're projecting that onto others. Yeah. So I'm like, was Herb gay? And that's yeah. why, you know, he and his wife only had sex six times. Oh, yeah. They're fa- like, their marriage is failing. Uh huh. But he's seeking out specifically gay men this was a sexual fantasy for him like you know yeah i i definitely think that he was gay and just completely unable to admit it to himself or you know much less anybody else Mm -hmm. i think you know also he'd already been diagnosed as schizophrenic and he had like literally been hospitalized for his mental illness Mm -hmm. and you know now if you get hospitalized for your mental illness you're gonna be treated with like nurses and you know pretty like well Mm -hmm. ideally right like you're not going to be abused the way that we think of like insane asylums and horror movies, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be like that. Mm-hmm. And it definitely wasn't quite that bad in the 80s or 90s either. Mm-hmm. But it still wasn't good yet. And, and that's that's just because of the stigma, right? Yeah, and homosexuality was still classified exactly. as a mental illness in yep. the DSM. Until the 1980s, yeah, which is insane. 1980s. I did not know how long that lasted. I had no idea it was still in the DSM it's in the 80s. Insane. That it just like is infuriating. 
And, you know, so I'm sure that Herb was, not only was he just repressing his sexuality like so many other people were at that time, but Mm -hmm. he was also doing it because he had personally experienced being mistreated or kind of just like the fear that comes along with being treated in a hospital for your mental illness. Mm -hmm. Even if he got really good treatment, it's still like a scary thing to go through. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just like being hospitalized for anything. I'm sure that the idea of like adding something else to the list of things that are like, quote, wrong with him, Mm -hmm. at least as he would see it, that was probably really scary. Yeah. And so I'm sure that he kind of had like this extra reason not to come out and not to feel safe doing so. And it also makes me wonder like what specifically turned him into Mm -hmm. a killer because while we discussed his schizophrenia, it's so badly stigmatized in media. Horribly. And people think it makes them like, it makes people violent and crazy or like outbursts and like, in reality, it's, like, I mean, it's very hard to deal with. Right. But it's not as violent or horrific as yeah. it's often characterized as. hmm And so it's hard, but it's possible to live a, a pretty normal life. So yeah. I don't see his schizophrenia as being a credible blame for no, why not at all. he had committed these murders. And then also, I don't think that his homophobia was... I mean, I definitely think it was a factor, as was his schizophrenia, but what was the thing that really made him snap and start, you know, yeah. killing these dead animals as a child? Like, did something happen with his father? Because that's what I wondered. I do too. But I don't... But it seems like they might have had a good relationship, you know? Because, yeah, like, know. it seems like they were close to the end, he, you know? I don't know. I don't I don't know. And I think... I mean, because you can always say people had a normal childhood, but... But did they? Yeah, did they? <laughs> Did they? That's what, the did something happen they never told anyone about? Exactly. Or that just because never really not got reported? to tell anyone about it if his father abused him somehow. Yeah. yeah. Or if he was abused by somebody else or yeah. saw something or, you know, there's a lot of things that could have been traumatic. But yeah, I don't think it's based in mental illness no. in this case. Anyways, <sighs> a lot of crazy, crazy things in this story. Yeah. And yet the story still doesn't end. Oh, yeah. So it now, still doesn't end. now we go from true crime. To paranormal. To ghosties. <laughs> Woo! This is kind of like the fun part of the story where, yeah. I mean, I guess it's still sad, but I don't know. We don't have to talk about creepy mannequins in pools yeah. anymore, <laughs> which is really good. Okay. Imagine so. they are the ones that, oh, the ones that no! showed up. Like you just look over and there's suddenly like a hundred mannequins sitting there. And they're just you. moving and they move. What if they don't move though? They're just staring yeah. at you. And then you, you shut your eyes or you turn around and then when you turn back around or open your they eyes, move. they moved. That's very like Doctor Who, Weeping Angels. Oh, yeah. No. No, 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 no. Don't blink. Blink and you're dead. Okay. (laughs) All right. Back to the story. So anyway, after all of this is uncovered, Fox Hollow Farm, understandably, sat empty for a really long time. The house was eventually gutted and put on the market. Pretty much everything in it was like beautiful and new. They put in like new appliances and painted and, you know, did all that kind of stuff. And then they tried to sell it. And they were hoping this is a mansion. We've kind of refurbished it, made it not creepy. Gotten rid of all the mannequins, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) They're hoping they'd still get a good price for it. You know, thanks to the grim history, because this was all over the news in Indiana. Like, so. One of those like things that, you know, is always passed around. Yeah. It probably won't go away. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you just know about that kind of thing. And so since everybody in this area already knew what the property was, and for the record, if you look up this house online, it is really beautiful house. And so it's very recognizable. Like people who toured the property recognized it and were like, oh, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna live here. 
So long story short, it has this grim history. And even though it's a really beautiful house and it's updated, the asking price is still really low. And so it's really pretty. It's beautiful, right? It's like the Tudor style. It's got all of this like stonework, but then it also is kind of like Tudor style. It kind of blends those two together. And it's just really, really pretty. So sad. Such recent I know. architecture. But I will say, I think the people who bought it ended up for the most part actually did like enjoy living there. Mm-hmm. Aside from the story we're about to tell you. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Rob and Vicky Graves toured the property with their realtor and they were like, this is a literal mansion that's in our budget. Like, what is happening? Yeah, these are like middle class, normal people. Which you should always be aware. If there's a mansion (laughs) in your budget, you should always ask, have any murders happened here? Yeah, why is it so cheap? I have a memory of a friend in college who, um, she was looking for a new place to rent and she and her friends found this like house in downtown Wilmington that was really, really cheap rent. I remember you saying that. And they toured it and we're like, wow, yeah, this is really nice. And they were like, it's either haunted or has like some sort of like bug infestation. There's got to be something wrong with it because the rest of these houses literally cost millions of dollars. But There's no way somebody's renting it this cheap. Bug, a, bat, a ghost, a ghost. It's demons, <laughs> like something is very wrong. And so they were like, mm, let's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, Vicky and Rob, they didn't really... They didn't really lean that way. No. So Vicky started thinking about it and realized the property had been owned by her Baumeister yeah. years before. Like we and said, that, she yeah, recognized it from the news. Yeah, that he'd buried the bodies there. And so the realtor confirmed that it was the same property and the graves were, of course, creeped out at first. But also, like we said, the house had been gutted. None of their stuff was there. It looked different. The bodies were gone. And the graves weren't superstitious and, you know... A literal mansion in their budget. Yeah. So, so you mean, know, inevitably, uh, they purchased Fox Hollow Farm. They moved in. They were really excited about it. Mm-hmm. I, I would be too. I think I'd so, yeah. I'd also be terrified, but I would be excited. Yeah, I would be, like, very <laughs> prepared for something really creepy to happen or to just constantly, even if nothing creepy ever happened, I feel like I would just constantly be, like, on the lookout. Yeah. Like, you know? if I, I had any fireplaces, I would just straight up not burn logs. It would just be sage. <laughs> like, sage yeah. in all the fireplaces. Like, that's it. Piles, piles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like a huge bonfire <laughs> would be, sage. Instead of like your normal little little bundle of sage, you would have like a bale of no, sage that would be like a bale of hay. But exactly. Be sage. I'd be like, hi, I'm here for my <laughs> another bale of sage. Thank you. But not white sage because we don't appropriate. We don't do that. No. <laughs> so Vicky, Rob, and their kids, they've moved in and they start experiencing some unexplained events right away. One day, Vicky was attempting to vacuum the infamous indoor pool. But every time she would get started, the vacuum would mysteriously come unplugged. Yeah. It happened like three or four times in a row. And, you know, that was really weird. It definitely kind of freaked Vicky out. But again, she wasn't really superstitious. She also kind of knew the history of the property. So she kind of was like, there was kind of an inkling that like, oh, you know, it could be a ghost. And, you know, they've already kind of had some similar experiences. So they're Mm -hmm. all kind of like, "Uh, oh, well. You know, it might be haunted, but oh well. So she kind of shrugs off this experience, but it's not very long before she and the whole family are kind of like, yeah, I do think the house is haunted, but they're not really worried about it. They're Mm -hmm. kind of just like, huh, we've moved into a haunted house. I mean, it's not like there's targeting or anything. Exactly. Like, and really nothing for the record, like as far as I could tell, nothing like dangerous ever happened to anybody living there. This was not really like a violent haunting. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it was just creepy. Mm -hmm. Objects moving, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, you know, it, it did get worse. Yes, it did. So Rob and Vicky didn't even experience the worst of the haunting. The house had an apartment over the garage. 
And Rob's co-worker, Joe LeBlanc, had a horrible commute to work every day and couldn't find anywhere to live closer. So Rob and Vicky were kind enough to be like, you know, we have this huge house with an empty apartment. You're free to stay there. Yeah. So Joe moves in and he's so relieved, right? Because, I mean, if you've ever had a bad commute to work or maybe you're just somebody who's chronically late, anything that will help you not be late anymore and to avoid that, like, you know, traffic jam or whatever you're experiencing is like... Oh, it's such a relief, you know? And I say that as a chronically late person. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, they're on like 50 acres and he has this dog named Fred. So, you know, obviously this is like, yeah, I know Fred's, Fred's about to get scared, but uh, Fred's, Fred is a good boy. Fred is a very good boy. (laughs) Oh, Fred, no, 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 there are no mannequins. We promise. (sighs) Yeah. So Joe moves in. He's so relieved. He's so happy to be living there and he's so grateful for his friends, the graves. And he's thinking like, wow, my life's about to be better. Mm -hmm. But he was wrong. His life was just about to get real Incorrect. weird. Correct. <laughs> the first night in the apartment, Joe has kind of, you know, f- finished moving in. He's exhausted. He just literally like collapses and falls asleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up hours later in total panic. He has had like the worst dream of his whole life. And in this dream, he is being chased. He doesn't really know what or who is chasing him. All he knows is that if it gets him, he is going to die. Mm-hmm. Which and is so, almost scarier. Yes. Like the feeling of being chased. Yes. Not knowing by what. Which is, I feel like why nightmares are so scary, you mm-hmm. know, is because there They're is like. enough to be even more Yeah. Terrifying. And so like when you wake up, it's still scary because you don't always really remember everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know, it's really creepy. But anyway, this dream is so vivid and so real. And so when Joe wakes up, he literally wakes up and just like bolts for the door like he's almost still in the dream he's almost kind of like sleepwalking a little bit right and so when he runs for the door because he's still half asleep he just kind of runs into the door he doesn't open the door he just kind of runs into it (laughs) and like but this is just to show like how terrified he really was he straight went he straight ran into it and like hurt himself he knocked himself out yeah and when he came to he was just like what the heck just happened Mm -hmm. that was the scariest dream i've ever had Mm -hmm. he's very very freaked out by this dream and specifically Um, when he had this dream of like running and being chased by something but didn't know what he's running through the woods at fox hollow he is yeah and so he i think at the time he was kind of like oh okay well I don't know why I had a bad dream. I know why I dreamed about the property because I just moved in and that's why I was so tired, you know, mm-hmm. but sometimes you just have a bad dream, but it still really freaks him out just because of how vivid and real it felt and how terrifying he it was. I mean, he was really shaken after yeah, this. Of He's just really freaked out. And over the next few weeks, multiple people in the Graves family saw this strange man mm-hmm. in a red shirt walking around their property. And when they would try to approach him, he would just literally disappear. Yeah, he would like kind of go around a tree or go around a corner or something and he wouldn't be there anymore. When they would follow, he would just not be there. Yeah. And so to some extent, they were kind of like, is it the ghost? Or they were like, is somebody trespassing? Like they were just very confused. It's even creepier if someone is trespassing. I know, that's way scarier than a ghost to me. I know. And it's like, are they still behind a tree watching me? Are they like. Like, what are they doing here? Exactly. Are they gonna kill me? Please leave. Yeah, so it was just really kind of creepy. And so one night, this is kind of the next scary thing that happened. Joe was asleep in the apartment. And then he kind of, he's, he's startled awake by this loud, like, banging at his door. And this is not just, like, knocking. This is, like, somebody, like, banging, like, you gotta let me in. Yeah. And so he's kind of thinking, like, it's Rob or Vicky. Like, something has happened. Maybe there's a fire. Maybe somebody's sick. Like, I don't know what happened, but somebody needs help, right? So he rushes to the door thinking something's wrong. But when he opens the door, nobody's there. Just like totally nothing, not a soul, not a sign of anybody. 
And he's a little like, what? He's mostly just confused. Mm -hmm. And he kind of thinks maybe he dreamed that someone was knocking Mm -hmm. because, you know, he was asleep when he heard it. So he didn't like slam to the door. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Even worse. But for the rest of the night, he just kind of got this like distinct feeling that he wasn't alone in his apartment. And I think this was like the first experience he had where he was like, ooh, I think there's a ghost. Yeah. He had this dog named Fred and Fred was also like really agitated and kind of growling and, you know, Mm. just a little bit timid and uncomfortable. Always listen to your pets, guys. Yeah, they they know. know. They do. They do. And also, if something is banging on your door or on your Mm -hmm. window or something, please do not open it. Yeah. I know the instinct to check and see what is going on is strong. If you have a peephole, look through it to see if it's an actual person or not. Yeah. If you don't see anything, please don't open the door. Because even if it's not a ghost, so many people get, like, literally kidnapped, murdered, whatever. They do. By tricking people. If you hear a baby, do not open the door. Call the police right away. Right. But seriously, like, if it is supernatural or paranormal, do not open the door to something. Because that's literally inviting them in. Opening the door is a symbol of inviting someone in or at least having the prospect of like opening the door to address them and thus it gives them power and acknowledges that they're there so if it is supernatural please don't open the door and let them in please just like either pretend you didn't hear it and do something else or you know i don't know put salt at your door or something just don't please be smart just don't do just it be smart <laughs> yeah for real like you know i don't know i feel like there's so many things whenever you hear like a ghost story, whether it be like something completely made up for a book or something, or like a person saying like, oh, this happened to me. I feel like there's always like red flags. And a lot of them are not red flags where I'm like, ooh, you almost got possessed or like whatever. I'm like, okay, but like, you shouldn't do that anyway. Yeah. Even if it's not a ghost thing. Exactly. Like you, that's just unsafe. And that's like if someone knocks on the door while I'm home alone. Yeah. And I look at the people and I don't know them or I don't see anyone. I don't answer the door. No. I don't even make a noise when I go up to get the door. Yeah. And like, I I'm don't like go very by hesitant. any of the windows. I don't know. I'm extremely paranoid person, which yeah. is it partially a like fault of my anxiety and my depression, but. But also keeps you safe. Exactly. And I'm not <laughs> mad at it. Yeah. So. For real. Like I remember one time in college and I lived by myself for the last year of school and I was in my apartment one night. It was probably like six or seven o'clock. So it was dark outside and somebody knocked at my door and I just kind of assumed it was a neighbor, like where we lived was very safe. And really the only people that ever knocked on my door were like maintenance crews, like people Mm -hmm. I was expecting. So this is kind of an unusual experience. And so I just kind of wasn't thinking about safety at the moment. And so I just went and opened the door and it was a cop. And apparently he had gotten like a noise complaint or a complaint about people arguing or something. And they thought it might've been from my apartment. And of Mm -hmm. course I was like, I live here alone. Like there's no one here. Just me arguing with myself. (laughs) And so he still was like, I got to come in and like, you know, just check if that's okay, just to be sure, you know, that everything's okay. And I was like, yeah, of course. And I mean, everything was fine. He was like, cool, have a good night, stay safe. And he left. But after that, I was thinking like, what if that, I mean, he was a real cop and he was yeah. safe, but that totally. What like, if he wasn't? Like, what if he had just been Did you ask fraud? to see a badge? I think he showed it to me. Okay. I can't remember. I was a long time but ago. But anymore, you don't even know. No, they yeah. show you a badge. And but it like, be like it was definitely cool something I learned from because it, it definitely very quickly after that, I recognized like how unsafe that really was yeah. in that moment. And I just kind of got lucky that it was somebody that had no bad intentions and really mm-hmm. was there to like make sure nobody was hurt. But also it kind of freaked me out because the fact that like somebody had said they heard like an argument and called the police and clearly lived in my building and I had not heard that. I was mm-hmm. like, what? what is happening? Uh, all right. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So anyway, 
Anyways, trust your pets. Don't open the door for yeah. anything. <clears throat> not, not every people you know. At this point, don't open it at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> So then one night after that, Joe's taking Fred out for a walk after dark. And during this walk, Joe sees that man in a red shirt walking towards the woods. And he assumed it was someone trespassing, yeah. as you would. So he decides to follow the man. And, you know, Fred has also definitely seen the person and his ears are up and he's super agitated again. So, you know, they're looking and finally Joe just gives up on finding the trespasser Mm -hmm. because he seems to have disappeared. And Joe, of course, is freaked out because one, why is this guy on the property? Who is he? Is he dangerous? How did he just disappear? Yeah. Like, what is this? And so I'm not 100% sure that this was the exact moment where this happened, but I know that at some point... Somebody who saw the man in the red shirt, they saw him and there was this very distinct moment where they realized it was a ghost and not a trespasser because they're just standing there watching this person, the person disappears, and then a couple seconds later it occurs to them that person didn't have any legs. It was just the like torso and up. <laughs> like La Llorona. <laughs> and so they're just kind of like, Oh. They're like But I think that this sense. might have been this moment where mm-hmm. he is kind of like trying to kind of chase after this supposed trespasser and then suddenly he's like wait a minute he just disappeared and then he's like wait he didn't have legs you know like he just he was so focused on like the red shirt that you know it didn't register but yeah so joe goes and he tells the graves what he saw and he's kind of like yeah i think you guys have a haunted house and they were kind of like yeah we kind of know um we didn't really think to tell we didn't tell you because we didn't you know want to scare you it's it doesn't seem to be that like big of a deal and he so he starts telling them his experience and they're just like oh wow that's like much more intense than what we've experienced and then he says oh yeah and i saw this like guy that i thought was trespassing and he was wearing this red shirt and the graves were like oh yeah we've seen that too we thought he was trespassing and then joe's like pretty sure he's a ghost and they were like Sounds like it. You didn't have legs. (laughs) Yeah. So so basically they're kind of like, you know, they kind of come to this conclusion that they have all seen this like apparition, basically. Mm -hmm. They've all seen the same apparition. And so it's very validating for all of them because somebody outside the Graves family has now had a lot of the same experiences. And then Joe is like, oh, good. I'm not crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not like living in this big house, like kind of by myself and, you know, alone. And I'm not crazy. Which like, if you have a haunted house... Like, maybe tell people that, because, like, me personally, I don't like to go, I wouldn't like to go over to someone's house not knowing it was haunted, and not have on proper protection, (laughs) or being able to prepare myself, or whatever, like, it's just a polite thing to do, like, some people are like, yeah, our house is haunted, other people are like, yeah, our house is, like, pretty chilly. Like, just update them just, on, like, what's going on. Yeah, okay, yeah, just tell people what's going on. Our house and is like, pretty far out. Honestly, like, the details. I feel like I'm the kind of person who, like, if somebody told me, oh, yeah, our house is haunted, I would just be like, ha, 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 yeah, right. And I would, like, then at their house be kind of like, hey, ghosty, what you up to? You know, like, I would be, that would be, like... I would be happy to know, but also would not want to wake up in the middle of the night and then suddenly see a ghost and be like, crap, ghosts are real. This is terrifying. Yeah, I don't like would it. would not spend the night there. Canceling <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so the next big encounter, once again, it's Joe who experiences yes. something. Yes. I wonder if Always Joe's Joe. Day. I don't know. And I also kind of wonder if maybe, so the, the pool is in the basement mm-hmm. and I sort of wonder if maybe the pool that's in the basement kind of sits like right underneath the garage and so then joe is above the garage and yeah. so he's also above the pool yeah. i kind of i'm not 100 sure like i don't know exactly the layout of the house but mm-hmm. it makes me it wonder it could also be that it herb is the ghost 
he sees this family unit yeah. that is like his family or like that. Yeah, and then with. this random guy. And then this one random guy. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Like, That's a good idea. Yeah, I don't know. But it's really weird. Anyways, once again, Joe experiences something. He hears someone knocking again, which is more again like banging yeah. on his door. And, and this was like that the how the like the walls are shaking like yeah. this is intense like the intense kind of knocking we were like this is paranormal activity there's something wrong yeah <laughs> and once again like an idiot he, he opens, opens the, door. the door and no one's there but this time the knocker for his door is like pulled out like sh- like it could only pulled be out. pulled out and like stuck this way if somebody is actively holding on to it that yeah. way like holding it in that position it's not one of those ones that like freezes as it's up because yeah. it hinges it's like it could not physically be like that yeah unless someone was holding it and but no one's so, there no it's out and no one's there and the knocker's raised up and so <laughs> he's kind of like Uh-oh. um i feel like he was just kind of like i'm gonna shut the door now so he shuts the door he locks it and he's kind of like okay i feel safe now i locked the door i got my dog we're you know we're fine please he gets this very bad feeling like just you know just kind of overwhelms him and then the doorknob just starts you know jiggling as if somebody is just desperately trying to open the door and it gets like kind of more and more intense and then finally the door just like explodes basically like it just like bursts open and again it was locked so this is like very intense like literally the door frame is like broken there's yeah the door came off the hinges like it's a very intense moment and joe is just kind of like ah (laughs) obviously (laughs) he's very freaked out but he's also like kind of in shock and so he's just like what the heck and i think he's not at this point anymore thinking this is paranormal he's thinking maybe there's been like maybe something happened yeah or something really strange and obviously i think if he had taken another second to think about it he probably would have been like wait a minute yeah. I just had a ghosty thing happen. Like, yeah. But he, you know, like, it's just such a shocking thing well, to happen. Well, I mean, your brain wants to rationalize things yeah. away, so. And so he just immediately kind of steps out onto the porch to investigate. Mm-hmm. And when he turns around and comes back in. There's literally a man standing yeah. in his apartment screaming. Like, like just, just terrified. Like, screaming like, ter- like, this is like terrified for his like, life if you guys know the painting, the scream, that's it's what I'm that. picturing. Me that. too. That's what I'm, or yeah. The, yeah. the scream, right? Yeah. 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 And he's just screaming. And the man disappears as suddenly as he's appeared. And Joe is just freaked. Like, he is completely confused, has no clue what's going on. But the one thing that he's confident of is that he had just seen the ghost of one of her Baumeister's victims. Yeah, like, he has pretty much no doubt in his mind that that's what he's seeing. He can't really, you know... He can't really explain why else a ghost would be, which is well, obviously what this was. He can't really explain any other reason that a ghost would be acting terrified that way. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of has the impression that the whole time this ghost has been like trying to get in to his apartment. He's trying to escape. Um, trying to escape this situation that That's he's so in. And almost kind of like looking for help. Mm-hmm. And it really makes Joe sad, but also really freaks him out. Mm-hmm. That uh... makes me feel sad about being like, don't open the door. I know, but, again, but also like, you don't know what it is. Yeah. And again, I mean, there kept not being anything there, mm-hmm. so it's kind and of this like this man mm-hmm. straight up burst through a door. Yeah, so. I know he's a powerful ghost. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if he has that much energy to do that, he obviously has a lot of fear driving him. Yeah, and a for lot sure. of motivation to get out. Yeah, but. which again, I think that just kind of goes back to what we were saying when we talked about how there were times that his victims got away from him and were trying to run away, and how just absolutely terrifying that would be. So scary. Like, even in death, you can't get away. Yeah. 
He's just like reliving the same thing That's over so and over. Sad. Residual hauntings and loops are so yeah, they're sad. so sad because it's always like the most traumatic things uh-huh. that they're always like murders or like disasters yeah. or yeah. yeah. It's just so sad. Really sad. So after this, Joe and the Graves family, they decide to do a little bit more research on the whole like Herb Baumeister case. Mm -hmm. Obviously, like they had heard a lot about him on the news, but they didn't really know any like details. They just kind of knew that this guy was a serial killer and that he had buried people on this property and they found 11 bodies. Mm -hmm. Like that's really what they knew. So after Joe has this one crazy experience, they really dig in and start researching And they find pictures of the murder victims, like a lot of pictures. Mm -hmm. And there's this one picture that Joe finds and he immediately, as soon as he sees it, he's like, that's the guy that was in my apartment. And so now Joe has like confirmation, right? That he really did see a murder victim, Mm -hmm. right? This is not some random haunting. This is like Herb's victims. It's not his imagination either. Yeah. Because he he wouldn't have never seen this person before. No, Yeah. This was a stranger to him. And then... On top of this, yeah. like, the family actually finds a human femur on the property still, which, thank God, they immediately turned it over to <laughs> the police. For real? Which I'm they're so supposed relieved. to. Like. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they were, like, outside, and then Fred, the dog, he just, like, comes running up, and they're like, what you got there? Oh, it's a bone. It's a femur. Crap. Yeah, it's a, it's a bone. Um, yeah. It's like, dogs with bones is not always a good thing. No, (laughs) no, 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 no. So this eventually leads to the police ending up searching the area again to be sure they didn't miss any other bodies or parts of bodies. And thankfully, they didn't find anything. And fun fact, the femur was found in the same exact area where they had all seen the man in the red shirt. So So they're kind of like, that's weird. Yeah. I wonder if they saw him again. At this point, what they're thinking is that, for sure, this femur belonged to that murder victim that Joe kept seeing, right? Mm-hmm. The one that he saw. And they're thinking, like, this is this guy and, like, the, the man in red. They're probably the same person. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really thinking that they only have this, like, one ghost, right? Yeah. And they're thinking, like, okay, so the police have come back. They've searched. They've not found any more bones. I think we're good to go. Yeah. It was, like, that one bone that yeah. was tying him here. So they really thought that the haunting would probably calm down, if not, like, completely stop. And it kind of did. Kind of. (laughs) Kind of. Some of it did. Joe no longer saw ghosts in his apartment. And he no longer heard, like, crazy knocking at his door in the middle of the night. But at one point, Mm -hmm. a family friend was was, attacked in the pool Mm -hmm. by nothing. Like, literally nothing. We didn't really get a lot of details on it. Yeah. But I wonder if it was a feeling of being strangled. I think it was. Either that or he was, like, maybe being held under. I'm not sure. Yeah. It was definitely something related to, like, being killed. Like being so terrifying. Yeah. Because, you know, the kids are definitely playing in that pool. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this family friend was a singular male. So, I think, again, the family was probably safer because you know, Herb saw them as a familial unit, kind of like his own family, mm-hmm. and was just targeting these individual males on his property. Yeah. But again, straight up terrifying. This guy, he did survive and told people He's okay. about it, but I'm sure he probably Yeah, I'm sure he was like, floor. I don't think I want to come over anymore. Sorry. Sorry guys. <laughs> just gonna You guys you guys can come He's... to my house next time. <laughs> Just well, don't don't bring anybody don't with pick you. Me up. Yeah. I'm scared. For real, like really literally like that. Yeah. And unfortunately, the family did actually continue to see the man in the red shirt. Mm. It really actually concerned them, right? Because they were thinking, oh, the femur belonged to him. Mm-hmm. And so they're they're kind of like, does that mean there's more bodies out there in that area and the police missed it again? 
because they miss the femur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they're very freaked out by this. And because they keep seeing this, there's still mm-hmm. this residual like energy haunting and energies in the house. Yeah. One night, Joe decides, you know, let's take a crack at it. Let's do the whole EVP thing that they do on Ghost Hunters and yeah. stuff like that. So he asked any spirits in the room to let him know who they were. He was hoping that the ghosts of the victim specifically that he saw, you know, the night weeks earlier would reveal himself by name. Yeah. He's probably hoping to help him cross or... Yeah, exactly. And he's kind of like, I have this picture and I like know that I saw this person as a ghost. Mm -hmm. But he's like, if I could just get this person to like this ghost to say that this is his name, Mm -hmm. then I would know for sure that I'm, you know, like I feel like anybody who's experiencing a haunting they're the whole time they're just like looking for proof that they're not crazy yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. and so he's kind of doing that yeah he's hoping the ghost will reveal itself and then joe would finally have this confirmation mm-hmm. that it was really the man in the picture of her victims that he saw yeah but when joe listens back to the evp later on he didn't really get the response he wanted so there was a voice it was just one voice and the voice did identify itself and so when joe asked who are you The voice replied, the married one. And none of Herb's victims were married, but he was. So, (laughs) definitely still hanging out. There's something there. Yeah, something there. And a lot of people think it's definitely Herb and not his victims anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've also heard rumors. I don't know how true this really is, but a lot of the things I read about would say like, oh, yeah, they still find bones to this day. And I don't know if they're saying, like, well, the Graves family found a bone, and Mm -hmm. that's kind of what they're talking about, or if they do think that, like, multiple people who've lived there since then have, like, also accidentally come across, like, a you know, fibula or whatever. Yeah. Or, like, a toe. I would hope that after the police have searched, like, multiple Multiple times, times they they found found everything. everything, It's also, like, 50 acres, so it's hard to know they've gotten it all that's terrifying it is well and also apparently like i heard a thing that whenever they initially dug up those 11 bodies none of them had heads and the police like never put in the report what where where the heads were were the heads found in like some other grave did they just not find the heads like what is going on with the heads here (laughs) so you know it is possible that the bodies they were all skeletal remains and so Mm -hmm. it's possible that if they were buried in like shallow graves some of them had been maybe carried off by animals Mm -hmm. and so it's possible that they are like literally scattered yeah around the property and also i don't know if you would bury a whole skeleton with itself yeah might be smarter not to well, I don't know necessarily if he buried the bodies and then they decomposed into skeletons or if he literally did something constructed them. I have no idea. Which is like... I think they think that they just decomposed mm-hmm. very quickly, but also that really surprises me because doesn't that take a long time? I mean, decomposition to the point that it's just skeletal remains, yeah. It takes like years, Especially right? Especially in like a temperate climate. Yeah, like Indiana. And Indiana has cold winters. Really cold so... winters. Like they're frozen. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's really strange. Yeah. I don't know. So, a true crime story turned haunting. Yes. One of our favorite things to cover. For we real. Love, it was like right up our alley. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah, it was a really definitely. good one. For sure. There were points in the story I was like, what? It, it is. It's definitely like one of those stories that it just keeps on giving. It almost makes me wonder if like in 10 years, there'll be like some new addition, you know, yeah. some other family being like, oh yeah, we had a ghost or... Little do you know, Caroline and I are going to buy this mansion. <laughs> we have no money, but... It's the one thing we can afford because it's still low budget. <laughs> 
it's haunted and a serial killer lived there and buried people. Two hundred dollars so. a month. Yeah, sold. It's um, ours. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting because, like, I feel like a lot of times whenever serial killers have have killed and particularly disposed of bodies like on their property, they end up like tearing it all down. Yeah, and it's not even one of those things where like the family decides that. Usually, like the city is like, uh, let's get rid of that. Yeah. You know, like they tore down John Wayne Gacy's house. Mm-hmm. I think they demolished the building where Jeffrey Dahmer lived. I'm not sure. That could be totally wrong about that. I don't know. But I think that's what happened. There's a couple other serial killers whose house have been destroyed. Even the Ariel Castro, you know, the guy who like kidnapped those three women in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they tore down his house, you know, because they're just like, we don't want reminders of this. Yeah. And sometimes they put memorials there for the victims and things like that. But like... This one, they were like, nope, spruce She's it a up. pretty mansion. Let's sell it. Put a new family in. Yep. Doesn't matter if they get killed too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is a strangler person living in their midst. Yes. And so he is dead. So the yeah. story of the I seventy strangler that continues to haunt haunt Indianapolis. Indianapolis. Yes. So be safe out there, kids. <laughs> yeah. Don't maybe Please. don't go to Indianapolis. I feel like yeah. actually, you know what? Indianapolis, anyways. Don't go to maybe just don't go to just Ohio then. Don't go to Ohio Cleveland. has so many serial killers. Because they, they have, have nothing him. else to do there. There's um, Anthony Sowell, who I told you about him, but he was like also a strangler in Cleveland. Mm. I think the Ariel Castro thing happened in Ohio. There's been other serial killers there. Apparently, there's a whole bunch of like corruption in the judicial branch, and I can't remember if it's Cleveland or Columbus, but mm-hmm. in that like judicial branch in that county is like yeah. super screwed up. Anyways, with that, 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 we will stop rambling. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we've been together, so you can tell by how probably how are. long this episode will be. It's going to be like two hours. It's going to be forever. Yeah, the freaking script was like seven pages. <sighs> <laughs> it's like our longest script yet. <sighs> but mm. I think it was a good story. It was worth yeah, it. It was. And it's definitely one of those stories that keeps on giving, like we said. So yeah. if there's any updates to the case, we will definitely keep you guys surprised. For but. sure. <laughs> So, as usual, you can find us on pretty much all social media. On TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, we're at Wicked Weird and Grim. And on Twitter, we're just at Wicked Weird Grim. And we would just love for you to leave us a great review on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. You can also listen to us on Spotify or like pretty much anywhere else that you like to listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. We also are on Patreon. And you can leave us a voice message on Anchor. We're so happy to hear from you guys, to hear what you guys think of the episodes, to chime in your weird, true crime, paranormal, Bigfoot-related fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> to tell us. We've been to certain areas that we talk about. Yeah. Suggest different things we should talk about, that kind of thing. Yeah. We're always happy to hear from you guys. Always. Whatever you want to send us. And so with that, we will see you next Wicked Weird Wednesday with the Grim Sisters. And we are excited to get back to recording. Yes. Not being sick. What is it? This is our 14th episode. So this is so exciting. I'm very happy. We got to 13 and we were like, okay, we're done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. We are not quitting. We (sighs) love doing this. So. Oh, also, um, we got quite a few responses on our Halloween episode. Yes. Um, People were like. This is a hilarious EVP <laughs> because it, it was literally just. <laughs> I mean, and it was just that was just so weird. Some people were like, um, "I'm pretty sure that that's literally just the app." And yeah, which is what we thought too. Yeah, we were so, like, "White baby, nameless from 2004 oh, yeah. is being announced." For sure. So <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it was a time. It was it, a good time. It was fun. Oh, I had a fun hiking experience. Yeah, though. I'm really glad. So what? There's that new hiking place that. 
um, Donna and your friend commented and you tagged me on. Oh, yeah. What? I forgot what it was. Now I don't remember where it was. So we might have. Yeah, we might have to to go wherever that was. I don't remember where it was. I know I I posted it. Yeah, I'll have to look. We'll have to look. And so with that, we will see you next Wicked Weird Wednesday with the Grim Sisters. Bye. Bye, guys. I waved again. Yeah, you did. It's nice to be back to waving. <laughs> Once you peed on manager. I mean, yeah, that definitely's <laughs> gonna get you fired. I gotta say. <laughs> I mean, I hope. If it doesn't. Um. If I had a coworker who did that and they didn't get fired, I would definitely quit. I'd be like, you know what? I don't think this is the right Someone fit for me. Peeing on the table at the restaurant. Like, oh my god. <laughs> it's such a hell that. Baumeister, I feel like, I hope I'm saying his name right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Baumeister. Baumeister? Baumeister, Baumeister. I don't, I don't think it matters. He's a serial killer. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) He deserves it. It's fine. Um, fuck his legacy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. And anyway, Herb, Julie, Herb. Herb. I I hate the name Herb because I I kind of like go back and forth. Yeah. Because I feel like when I think of like, an herbal remedy. It's like herbal. It's not yeah. herbal. Yeah. But then I his say herb. But then when it comes, but I feel to the like name, the name I is herb. herb. Yeah. Like herb, herby. You know. Yeah. But like, yeah. it's like automatically I'm like herb. I'm like no nope. herb, 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 herb. I feel like cousin it. You know how he like oh has God, his little squeaky voice. I used to imitate him all the time because my mom would like smooth my hair over my face. <gasps> yes. And it was fun. Take care. Take care, life. <laughs> you get to pretend to be cousin it a lot. Take care, life. <laughs> okay, <Anyways>. anyway. <laughs> Anyways, er, no. <laughs> Stop it. <sighs> oh, man. This is like a tangent, but a few, I think it was, it was during the pandemic. It was like in 2020, like when mm-hmm. a lot of stuff was closed down. And my friend who lives in New York City, she just randomly texts me and she goes, I think there's a body in my neighbor's backyard. And I was just like, wait, what? I'm sorry. I was not <laughs> Excuse expecting that. Excuse me, Sam. <laughs> and so she basically goes on. Oh, Sam texted you this. Yes, okay. my friend Sam. And I was like, whoa, what? And so basically what had happened was that somebody who had like previously lived in that house next door had, I guess, been involved with some kind of criminal activity and they had buried a body in the backyard and then the police basically got like an anonymous tip all these years later that yes this person is buried here because i've been looking for this person right Mm -hmm. and they get this tip i don't know if it was anonymous or if it was from like somebody that they arrested who was like oh yeah we buried it in this house at this address and so then the police had to go like dig it up and it was just wild because her whole street was like just police everywhere can you imagine living there i know like, you're a suspect or something i know i'm sure the people who lived there were so freaked out because it wasn't they're i mean like, we just moved their, this has ago. nothing to do with us <laughs> and it was really funny though because obviously the police especially during the pandemic they're like trying to keep everyone in their houses yeah because they don't want to like, see but everybody yeah, yeah. yeah. and see the thing is this was in queens and if you've never been to queens Queens is not really like the rest of New York, right? Like it's neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, streets with normal houses. It's not just apartment buildings and stuff. And so her street is a residential street. Like this is not normal. I'm not <laughs> for her street. surprised though, because yeah. I don't know. I feel like if it was going to happen anywhere, I feel like it would be more likely to happen in a residential neighborhood. Oh yeah, for sure. In, like, yeah. You know. Actually in like Manhattan or yeah. somewhere like that, it's you like know. the gangsters hanging out uh-huh. in your local suburban neighborhood. It's yeah. Like, that's where they're doing the burying. Yeah. 
Well, and I mean, there's the whole thing with like the mob that was like really big in like Long Island and Staten Island and all that stuff. So they were obviously kind of out in the more residential areas Mm -hmm. too. Have you ever tried like auto, or I guess it wouldn't be auto erotic, but like erotic as 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 Thank you. My words not coming out of my mouth. I want to come out. Erotic asphyxiation. There we go. The fact that we both said that. I know. Bigfoot makes an appearance in every episode. Yeah. It wouldn't be us without. What's really funny is that like I don't even care that much about Bigfoot, but I feel like he's just fun to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> he's just a good a good dude a good dude with a big foot but yeah he uh he's a bad one he's a bad one mr grinch <laughs> okay. uh, the grinch this. wasn't that bad you're right <laughs> the grinch was just grumpy like, they're trying to make him out to be this horrific person but we all know the grinch was actually just a humbug with yeah kind he's just tired and he just wanted to be alone. Me too. Introverts, <laughs> introverts everywhere. Unite. He just wants his dog and to be alone. Yeah. So our our number one fans are here in yes. this audience cheering us on. Um, okay. <laughs> now it feels weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been backstage before. <laughs>